you have to imagine crazy things in order to take the next steps. It all begins with imagination. Welcome to What the If. Get ready to be ifed. If you knew what I knew. I, yeah. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> and good morning, Matt. Morning. Sometimes we record in the morning. Most of the times we do record in the morning. And, that, and that's why you get that weird sort of, my brain is like a lawnmower that you're using for the first time after like a long time. Keep pulling on the cord to get you going. Yeah. Yeah, keep pulling on the cord, and sometimes it just dies, and you gotta kick it, and you know, next thing you know, you're going down, to the, walking down to the gas station with a, you get more gas and bring it back, and that's what the coffee in my cup is here. Hmm. Matt, how are you this morning? Are you a morning person? I am not a morning person. Oh. Um. Yeah, that's uh, not my favorite time of day. Right. Right. And that's why we choose to do the show at this time because. So when we're maximally tired. Right. But that's when the brain is in that state between dreams and reality or stupidity and intelligence or imagination and insanity. Yeah, I'd say we we live on the border between stupidity and intelligence. That seems fine. Yeah. Yeah. Now. Here's a, I'm just going to throw out a crazy general statement. Has stupidity, so-called stupidity, ever played a role in science, the advancement of science? Um, well, there's certainly examples where uh, people make mistakes that turn out to be fruitful later. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the usual sort of thing that where people uh, are criticized for being stupid, but then later have their ideas embraced. Um, But full-on stupidity? I don't know. (laughs) Uh, Well, but, you know, it may have slowed, it it may be the the friction in science, perhaps, or the friction in humanity's advancement is stupidity. Uh, Yeah, that could be. Yeah, yeah. Um, So, in that vein, what the if somebody was turning on this show for the first time and had no idea what was going on. Hard to imagine. How would, well, how, how would you say, how would, what would you describe? How would you describe the show? Uh, I'd say we're, uh, we tweak something about our reality. Mm. Usually, usually the physical reality. Right. Uh, and then kind of run with the consequences of that uh, and try to learn something about science along the way. Yeah, yeah. And also another thing which uh, we do, uh, and in particular, one of my favorite examples of this was in our last episode, is that you are a scholar of not just science itself, but the history of science. Right. And sometimes we imagine, what if, stupidity isn't the right word, but what if, what if, let's go back to certain periods of time where people thought a certain thing and let's get into their minds and like, Oh, you know, how does that play a role? Yeah. Sometimes the thing we tweak is, uh, not necessarily reality, but 
our understanding of reality, the different ways people have thought about reality. Right, right. Now, I'm pretty sure that this is the only podcast uh, in your playlist in which these words have been spoken. That's possible. Yeah. <laughs> there was a big clunk outside. Somebody just, so a giant just passed out. Uh, yeah, uh, just a crane falling over, probably. A crane falling over, exactly. Now, exciting news. Uh, we, we, another thing we like to do is we like to launch off. We like to take our inspiration for what is it we're going to change about the universe? What is, where's our imagination going to go today? And it's great to launch off of something that has just happened or is happening. Current events in science, for instance. And coming up um, in a couple of weeks, a few weeks from now, from when we're recording this, a little bit uh -huh. closer to the time when you're listening to this, on November 26th, uh, at, um, I have to look up the exact time of day, um, the NASA JPL collaboration, uh, the InSight Lander is landing on Mars. We're going back to Mars again. Again, can and never be there too many times. Never can be in Mars too many times. And uh, JPL gets another chance to extend their extraordinarily successful uh, rate of successfully landing on Mars. So hopefully that'll go again. Mars eats satellites, as they often say. It's a very difficult <laughs> thing to do, apparently. Um, now, the InSight lander is... It, its name somewhat indicates it is going to look instead of uh, unlike the rover. Uh, uh, so unlike the orbiting satellites we've sent there that look at uh, the planet from above and look at its atmosphere, such as it is and its environs. Um, and unlike the rovers, which look at the surface and touch the surface, and, um, maybe at best dig an inch or so, down into the sand or the rock, the InSight lander is not going to go anywhere. It's not going to orbit. You know, it's not going to fly around. It's not. It has no wheels. <clears throat> it has no ambition. In that, <laughs> in it that would just live in its parents' basement. It could. It, it's. <laughs> it's going to live in the basement of Mars. Uh, it is designed to. It, it's kind of a seismology station among other things. It's a probe of inside the planet, which is amazing that they can even do such a thing. Like, they, yeah, they, they feel... Cool. Yeah, they'll be able to measure... They say, you know, Mars may have quakes. They're not sure. And if there are, you know, how frequently is it? It's not clear how alive geologically Mars is, how active. But they said even if they don't sense Mars quakes, which would be quite a discovery, uh, they know that the planet is hit by meteors at a certain rate, and they will be able to sense those from wherever the thing hits on the planet. The satellite will be able to, uh, the uh, lander will be lander. able to. That would be pretty cool. Pretty cool. And from this, they're, they're going to be able to also look at uh, all the different, or get a sense of what's going on inside the planet in a way we've never had before. That's mm -hmm. pretty amazing. So, you know, finally we'll know, are there dinosaurs living down there? <laughs> Because we know there isn't the Earth, right? Not oh, sure. What's that, what was that movie? Uh, Forgotten Land of Forgot Time, or 
or, oh. or just Journey to the Center of the Earth. Yeah, I don't remember. Journey to the Center of the Earth and its variations. Yeah. Always had things, yeah. Yeah, pretty wild. Uh, so the funny thing about the Journey to the Center of the Earth, Center of the Earth by the way, a future if for us to explore is if there were like dinosaurs and stuff, whatever lived in whatever's living inside the earth, I'm going to pretty much assume that it's as old, if not even older than us. And why, what, why didn't the dinosaurs evolve in all this time? So, uh, well, they could have been evolving, right? We don't know what state they were in before, uh, they went down there. That's true. That's true. That's true. But going back to Mars, Mm -hmm. as we are wont to do, um, We uh, we were talking before the show about how people have viewed Mars throughout history. And one name that always leaps to the surface almost immediately, if you watch any science program at all, this the name Percival Lowell is going to uh, come to mind. And he was an astronomer. Um, so for those who don't know, what am I talking about? And what a weird name. Um, who, who is this strange character? Oh, good old Percival. Um, yeah, so Percival Lowell uh, is of the Boston Lowells. So oh. if you've spent any time in Boston or eastern Massachusetts, you know that there, there are Lowells, Lowell things everywhere. Right? I didn't know that. Lowell, Lowell yeah. auditoriums, Lowell buildings. Um, and that's because they were a crazy rich family, um, made their money in uh, textiles or from the, the Massachusetts textile mills during the Industrial Revolution. Um, so you can't, yeah, so you can't swing your arms without hitting a Lowell something around Boston. Wow. Um, and uh, come the late 19th century, one of the, the many generation descendants of the Lowells, uh, Percival, decides he's going to uh, devote the family fortune to his personal fascination, which is Mars. Uh-huh. And specifically whether or not anyone lives there. And was he an astronomer at this point? He was, well, he was an amateur astronomer. Uh-huh. Um, and this is sort of the great age of amateur astronomy. So that's not, that's not a knock against him or anything. Uh-huh. Um, it's just that Boston is not a great place to do astronomy. Right. Even then. Even then. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's, it's cloudy and windy. And not, yeah. It's not a great place. Right. Um, so... Sorry, and what year, what, around what time period is this again? Uh, this is the 1890s. 1890s, so the Industrial Revolution is underway. Sorry, the end of the Industrial Revolution. Oh, okay, yeah. right. So there's probably a lot of coal-fired... Mm-hmm. Yeah, sort of the, the, early, the early mills in New England are all uh, water-driven, oh. and then they gradually get replaced by coal and then gradually replaced by electricity. Uh-huh. Um, uh, so Moles, Lowell's not the first to be interested in Mars, and one of the... One of the interesting things about looking at Mars is that even with a small telescope, uh, the sort you had before the 19th century, you can still discern features on Mars. Mm. So even William Herschel in the 18th century um, could notice that um, there were ice caps on Mars and that they changed size over the course of the year. And so that was the first evidence that Mars had seasons like Earth did. Ah. Now, by this point, it was accepted that these planets were other worlds. Or sort of like, that was like, it wasn't a shock that, oh, it's got. Right. It was not a shock, but right. still exciting. Yeah. Right. Um, so the, uh, 
so that was exciting and suggested that if there were seasons, then maybe there was life. And um, yeah. so you could see this kind of seasonal darkening and lightening on Mars uh, and some of the very large features. Uh, and then by the, the 1830s, an Italian astronomer named Schiaparelli, hmm. a good Italian astronomer. I just got hungry. <laughs> uh, is looking at Mars and says, uh, as, as he writes down in his journal, that he sees cannoli in Italian. Ah, uh, not, um, not cannoli, by the way. Not cannoli. <laughs> That's, the, the space program would have been going a lot earlier. It's right. Not cannoli <laughs> Mars. Yeah. Um, so there's some there's some disagreement about exactly what he meant when he wrote down canali mm. because it it has the obvious cognate in English of canal, but in Italian can also just be line. Uh huh. Uh huh. So he might have been writing down that he saw lines on the surface of Mars. Right. Whether or not he intended the suggestion that they are canals is unclear, but English speakers anyway read his stuff as canals. Now, when did and he die? Schiaparelli? Schiaparelli died. I would have to look it up, but middle of the 19th century would be my guess. So no one could ask, no one thought that, no one had the need or the wisdom to ask him. No, it seemed to, to take a little while to percolate. Right, okay. Um, but by Lowell's time, by the time Percival Lowell was, was a young man as an amateur astronomer, right, um, it was, uh, let's see here, what's the right way to say it? It was common knowledge that there were canals on Mars. <laughs> and canals not, like we think of canals. Right, yeah. Uh, not necessarily um, a fact that there were canals on Mars, but it was sort of generally known. Um, and if you, uh, the canals do some pretty cool things. Like amongst other things, they seem to get, uh, um broader and narrower over the course of the year, mm. which which some people read as uh, plant life growing and dying uh -huh. seasonally. Yeah. Right. So that seemed to be extra suggestion. Um, and the canals had to be huge in order to be seen by us. Right. Sort right. of planetary scale. Right. Right. Um, Not just so in length, but in width. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Both. Right. Yeah. Um, so they would be uh, hundreds of miles wide Whoa. and then thousands of miles long. Whoa. So that's, you know, they, a, a kind of structure humans still haven't built. Right. Hundreds of miles wide. So mm -hmm. like the distance between Boston and New York. Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just one canal. <laughs> like the, right. the Erie Canal isn't quite that wide. The Erie Canal is like a hundred feet wide for, right. <laughs> for most of its distance. Yeah. It's tiny. Um, the, uh, so that suggests, since that's the kind of structure that humans could not build, then there's the additional implication that the Martians must be more advanced than us in some way. Mm, mm. Right? Yeah. Now, when you say, and, and when you say common knowledge, I mean, like, was it, were you, if you believed this, did people think you're a little kooky? Or was it like, oh, yeah, that might really be true? Um, it's kind of hard to say because it mm. was certainly a little kooky. Right. Um, but not uh, outrageous, I guess. It wouldn't get you thrown out of a party. Um, okay, right. But would mark you as an interesting person to talk to. Yeah, yeah. You might get cut. The bartender might cut you off. 
Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that could be. Uh, so Lowell wants to. So the um, let's see here. So the limiting factor in learning more about these canals was just the power of a telescope. So the bigger a telescope is, the smaller a feature it can see. Right. 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 So uh, since we can't get closer to Mars, uh, we just need to build a bigger telescope. Right. So that's what Lowell decides to spend the family fortune on. He said, we're going to need a bigger telescope. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so as we'd mentioned, Boston's not a great place for this. So, uh, he hears that the Southwest has pretty clear skies mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. not a lot of bad weather. Mm -hmm. Um, so he send, he goes to visit, uh, Flagstaff, Arizona, yes. a, a lovely little town. It is beautiful. Yeah. Uh, which has a, a, a mountain conveniently located nearby. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. So he goes, uh, and decides that's the, that's the place. Uh, puts the funds down to start building um, what becomes Lowell Observatory. Uh, unfortunately, he only visited it in the good season, which I assume was the summer. Uh -huh. um, and it turns out that winters are actually pretty crappy there. Uh -huh. So it's actually not a great place for an observatory. But this is one of these things you learn only after you build it. Right, right, right. That's funny, yeah, because like the one time I think I've actually been there, it wasn't winter and I think it was snowing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's not a great place. Oh, okay. <laughs> he, just, he just happened. I don't know if he didn't listen to the locals or what. Right. Um, right. Yeah. See, that's, yeah. You know, carpetbaggers. He was literally a carpetbagger, it sounds like. Yeah, I think that's right. Textile family. And, uh, and there are uh, stories, which are not quite true, that uh, Lowell had a uh, switch installed to turn off the lights in the town so <laughs> they wouldn't bother him when he was making observations. Um, and this is not true, but it is true uh, that the, the town works very hard to keep its light pollution to a minimum to, to benefit right. the observatory. Right. That, is, that is pure Mr. Smithers. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I have a light switch to turn off the town. <laughs> Uh, and, and, um, so he thinks there's canals and it's in the popular imagination to some degree. Um, was there a frenzy about it in the way there was after, for instance, the War of the Worlds broadcast? Well, I mean, sort of War of the Worlds is the, is the result of this work, right? So, right, right, right. so Lowell, so I should say Lowell is successful. He sets up the observatory. Um, he starts observing Mars and he starts mapping the canals in great detail. So you can, if you do do a Google image search for Percival Lowell canals of Mars, you will see his maps. Right. Um, and you see where the canals intersect, which is clearly where the Martian cities are going to be. You can distinguish big ones from small ones. Um, and it's, uh, it gets to be a really sophisticated project. So, people become more convinced that there's life on Mars because of Lowell's work. Now, that's like, we talk all the time about SETI here, search for extraterrestrial intelligence, mm -hmm. and the idea that if we were to, for instance, hear a radio transmission that was clearly from an alien source, intelligent alien source, that, that might cause just a crazy chaos on the planet or a, a, a huge psychological rift or you know it'd be like paradigm shifting it'd be major right mm -hmm. sure now here uh, like that's like if i was growing up and i thought it was like pretty clear that there were alien cities on mars like you'd think that people would be 
that would just be that would drive and i don't know that would would drive some program like a huge well so there is some uh there there are some efforts to communicate i guess uh-huh, um, uh-huh. so it's probably i should say it's probably not an accident that uh, this is also the time of the first great, um, what nowadays we would call UFO sightings. Oh, right. that uh, early. Yep. Or, uh, so it's just, like I said, 1890s. Uh-huh. Wow. Um, so back then, um, UFOs looked like uh, blimps, like dirigibles. <laughs> right there. Yes. Uh, so there was a lot of sightings of these, these vehicles in the sky. Um, and, and this, uh, so the, the question of communication then raises the sort of reflexive question, which I guess is our, our, if is if we're looking at Mars and seeing canals and cities, what do the Martians see when they look at us? Exactly. Right. Exactly. Um, because they're more sophisticated than us. So, Right, they should be able to do anything that we can do. They certainly have telescopes, right? Right, and they must have. Right, in other words, that that was the uh, that would have been the uh, corollary there that they would be they they're doing they're they're terraforming or they're what do you call Mars forming? Uh, uh, um, Kim Stanley Robinson would yeah, tell us. <laughs> um, uh, it'll come to me. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, they're doing things that we do that are far more powerful than us. All right, yeah. now. We're going to, what the if, just as you said, let's flip the story. And we are, here's, we'd like to, we'd like to change just as little as possible. There's one thing that we can change and we try to leave everything else as it is. So let's just take our entire civilization, just us, our normal world, where we live on Mars. But if we lived on Mars and there's a whole nother what the if about what if we lived on Mars? What's that like? Um, but we'll put that aside, and, and it's just simply, we are the Martian. We live on Mars. And Earth was the other, this, the, one of the many magical lights in the sky. Uh, and would they be, what would they see, and would they be able to imagine that there was life on intelligent life on earth not just i mean finding natural life is is one thing but like even going further that that there's humans on earth doing or there's some kind of intelligent creature doing big big works uh so first question is this is does earth look blue from mars like what what does earth look like in the sky of mars Mm -hmm. um yeah so it's a greenish blue dot Mm-hmm. in the sky in the same way that mars is a reddish dot for us mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and mars does have from the earth with your naked eye you can just barely tell that mars uh has a disc right it has an appreciable size it's mm-hmm. not a it's not a point like a star right. um the earth is a little bigger than mars right so we would uh so the earth would be again a, an appreciable disc so with the naked eye you could tell there was something different about uh, the Earth than the stars. Right. So that's good. Yeah. And can they see the moon? Uh, pro- not with the naked eye. Mm. Well, no, probably not. Um, they might be able to discern it as a as a dot of light. Right. Uh, but as soon as they get a telescope, certainly they'll be able to see the moon. 
for instance, I guess the moon is not nearly as big as, say, again, some of the moons of Jupiter or Saturn. Well, Jupiter in particular. We can see that the moons of Jupiter. Oh, yeah, you, you need a telescope. Galileo needed a telescope. Yeah. He was the first one mm-hmm. to see the moon. So it's like um, that. Yeah, and our moon is pretty big. So it'll, mm-hmm. it'll, it'll definitely be noticeable. Right. Um, so they would not have to, you know, we had to wait till 1609 to realize that there were moons around other planets, but they would certainly know it much, much sooner than we did. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And so we living on, we Martians, mm-hmm. um, Mars is a pretty, uh, let's just say we, we, whatever form of life we are, it's, you know, it fits with Mars. It's okay for Mars. Yeah, we and evolved there. It's perfectly comfortable. It's perfectly yeah. fine. It's wonderful. And however, it's pretty, there is no water or very little water, right? So in other words, in our scenarios, we can't change, we, we change as little as possible. So Mars is Mars, right? And I say that only because like whatever, however we survive or whatever the situation is on Mars, let's say it's pretty dry. It, it, it is like it is now. So looking at Earth, what would they think all that blue they'd see the blue personal okay here's let's just say this the the personal lowell of mars yeah um is uh has has his telescope looking at earth Mm -hmm. what would it look would it be fuzzy um yeah it would be fuzzy let's see here so he could definitely distinguish um the polar ice caps he could tell the difference between uh, land and water. As you say, he might not make the, the correct conclusion about what those two different things were, but he could definitely tell that um, the Pacific and Asia were, were different sorts of things. Right. Um, and so, so Galileo, for instance, when, he, when Galileo looks at the moon, he sees dark areas and light areas, and he assumes the dark areas are seas. Um, um and he's he's wrong about that right but that's <laughs> right right but that that's it's sort of like the natural conclusion yeah. like if you don't know you so know, so yeah. whatever martians associate with large dark areas and the, the southern half of mars is a large dark area actually our best guess is that it's a uh, very very old mm. um impact so asteroid or comet right so he might. So the the Martian Lowell might think that the Pacific is just a gigantic crater. Right. Okay. Right. Because okay, just like Galileo projected his world onto another, uh, to, to, yeah. he, he used what he knew about his world to try to interpret the fuzzy. And, and uh, let's reiterate that that the, when we say the Pacific and the and, and the continents and the oceans, they're just the blobs. Right. It's, it's not, right. not like, like Galileo them. could see a very sharp, incredibly detailed moon. Right. It wasn't fuzzy. Uh, that's right. He could, he could, he could make out serious details. Right. Whereas when you look at another planet, it's kind of like, you know, uh, I guess a way to imagine it is uh, when Hubble pictures, the, the Hubble telescope pictures of, say, uh, Pluto, for instance, before we got. Um, satellites out there or even neptune and stuff but say pluto in particular just blocks you know and i think they could there was some sense that there was (laughs) they could see some differentiation on pluto but Mm -hmm. the but the image was so crude um 
And so, right. yeah, it's, it's just a just a blob, just a blob. So that's what we're looking <laughs> at. So Earth is this blob. Now, would they they would see the polar caps? Would they see um, clouds changing? Yeah, that would be um, <clears throat> that would be an important thing. So even if they didn't recognize them as clouds, they would see the overall. They would notice that large patches of the Earth go from blue green mm. to white. Right over the course of days, right, 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 right. and the, so the white <clears throat> so is the clouds, and blue green is what's underneath. It. Right, yeah. So right. they would see that change, and Mars has clouds of a sort. Mm-hmm. So I mm-hmm. think they could probably make that make that guess. Right, and they might now. Mars has dust, tremendous dust storms, mm-hmm. not uncommon. Uh, they might think, oh, these are huge dust storms, right, on this planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be a good guess. And therefore, they might say it's totally uninhabitable. Nobody could live there. <laughs> Look how bad it is. Also, it's blue and green. It looks like poison. You know, there's no red. Uh, Who could live yeah. there? There's no red. Uh, another thing that comes to mind is it's fascinating. Actually, <clears throat> I don't think I've ever seen like a fuzzy picture of the Earth. You know, like oh, this is a um, like it, is- my, the thing that comes to mind. Obviously, is the images from the Apollo missions where. You see Earth, and it's right? But those crisp. are pretty crisp. Yeah, um, super crisp, right? And then there's there's the pale blue dot where the Earth is a dot. So that's mm-hmm. that's way a out. singular image. But like, we don't generally see pictures of the Earth that look like the early pictures of the planets. That's right. Yeah, I'm doing a quick image search to see if I can find. Uh, anything uh wow nothing's popping up actually right because they've I mean, all been erased like they've been erased with, um, censored uh photoshop skills can presumably just take a good image of the earth and dial down the resolution um yeah and get a good uh, dial it way down right and get a sense of what that would look like but right. i can't find one on google right now right well, I think we have some cover art ideas already. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Very uh, good. But yeah, actually, so if you just want to imagine it, imagine that picture of the Earth uh, in space viewed from um, the astronauts and uh, just imagine it totally out of focus and all you can see are blobs. And so um, as, as our te- technology advances, uh, let's not get yeah. to radio just yet. Right. Okay. But but let's right. say that the telescopes improve and mm-hmm. they start to see a little bit more detail. Yeah. So the timing is important here mm, for mm. a couple of reasons. One would be the level of Martian technology, right? How good are their telescopes? Oh, okay. um, but also the question is how industrialized is the Earth by this point? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. right now, in the 21st century, if you look at the dark side of the Earth, uh, there are huge patches that are not dark. Oh, you mean the lights? Exactly, right. So cities, highways, these are all extremely well lit. um, And that's visible from a significant distance. So if if we are looking at the Earth from Mars in the 1890s, um, the dark side of Earth is pretty dark. But if we wait 100 years, now the dark side of Earth uh, has definite bright and dark patches. Okay, so this would be amazing. Yeah, <laughs> to be like Mars didn't do that on us. I mean, but perhaps one of the ways <laughs> the, the whole alien idea sort of stayed a little bit 
didn't move any forward or anyway. I think it was it. The canals were there. And actually what happened is as, as their views got better and better and better, it, it, it was obvious that there was nothing really happening there. What we thought was there isn't there. But this Martian civilization in the what the ifers are looking at Earth and all of a sudden around uh, 1900, well, although I guess it would really take well, I mean, large-scale electrification seen. isn't until the middle of the 20th century. So. Right, right, right. So um, that's now okay. Would the atom bomb that was dropped, the two atom bombs that were dropped at the end of World War II, mm-hmm. if those had, if the Earth had been facing Mars at that point, would they have seen that? Uh, no, those would no. be tiny little pinpricks, far okay. too small to notice. Interesting. Um, if they had, uh, let's see here, if they had a neutrino observatory up and running, mm. they mm. probably would have noticed something during the great age of nuclear testing, like in the 50s and the 60s. Uh, uh, that would have been interesting. Right. Yeah. Like there's more and more of these things, these fluxes coming at us. Yeah. Um, um, there's actually a beautiful scene in uh, Ray Bradbury's uh, The Martian Chronicles. Mm-hmm. Remember this? this yes, book? yes, yes. Um, where uh, colonists on Mars uh, see a global nuclear war. Right. Um, and Bradbury describes them seeing it with their naked eye and seeing sort of the, the blue disk of Earth flashing with colors uh-huh. um, as the bombs went off. And that's probably not particularly accurate, but right. it's, a, it's a moving scene. Yeah, 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 yeah I remember that. Uh- um, but the so the question of, of lighting on Earth and and what the Martians would see of it uh, is an important one, and that's in I don't think that really occurred to Lowell because large scale lighting was not really a thing yet on Earth, so that wasn't a, a category for him to look for. Right. But that said, there were people who were thinking in these terms mm. um, uh, around the same time and even a little before. So. Um, a couple of generations before Lowell, we had Carl Friedrich Gauss, who is one of the great mathematicians of all time. Um, and Gauss uh, wondered about whether there were people on Mars and whether they were watching us. And he wanted to figure out, he was trying to figure out some way to communicate with them, or at least to let them know that we were here and we were intelligent. So his suggestion was to carve an enormous triangle into Siberia. I didn't realize that was Gauss's idea. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, his his reasoning was the the Siberian forest would look pretty dark uh-huh. yep. during the summer. Um, so if you cut down large swaths of it, then that would be a light patch. So you could actually, so you can't build something that's hundreds of miles wide, but you could carve 100 miles of tree-free area. Right. Oh, so so this isn't, there was another plan where somebody was going to light light it on fire, right? Yeah, this is, so this is, that one is in Lowell's era. Uh-huh. Um, and the idea there was to dig giant trenches in the Sahara and uh-huh. fill them with kerosene <laughs> and light them on fire. <laughs> the, the earlier, of course, it made, you know, Gauss coming from like uh, the environs of, say, Versailles says, mm-hmm. you know, let's carve beautiful Allais, I think as they would call it in French, right? You know, through the Siberian forest. And it'll be this beautiful thing. It's a geometric shape. And they'll say, how lovely. There's a beautiful, there's some sort of chateau there. They're very intelligent people there. They may have champagne. And the Americans are like, let's set it on fire. <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's go to Africa. <laughs> and just 
<laughs> Blow it up. Uh, on the other hand, would have been pretty wild for sure. Yeah, and it's um, that's the kind of thing that would be just at the edge of possibility at the time. And if you th- if you think about the the effort that went into say the Suez Canal or the Panama Canal, right. uh, that took years and and Titanic effort, uh, mm. both of those would be tiny compared to the size this thing would have to be. Oh wow, interesting. Yeah. And would it would it have been bigger than the Great the Great Wall of China, as they say? Uh, yes, yeah, significantly. Wow, Great Wall of China isn't all that big. Yeah. Ah, okay. Um, don't believe the hype. Yeah, like like I ninety is way bigger than the Great Wall of China. Oh, right? that's interesting because all we ever hear is that the only human structure visible from space is the Great Wall of China. Yeah. Um, no, it just depends how how good your telescope is from from space. Right. right. Um, so that would so that's a, that would be another timing question. That by the end of the 20th century, we have these enormous road networks uh, stretching across the planet. Oh, right. And they would yes. So with slightly better telescopes now, they they would start to be able to see that. Yeah. Although that would be quite a good telescope. To that get would to be them. that would be very hard. They would have to be very good because even though the uh, even though I ninety is very long. It's not particularly wide, mm-hmm. so it makes it harder to to see. Where ninety is what? Straight across. Oh, the I just uh, Boston westward. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just picked I ninety because it's a nice highway. Yes, actually, it's a terrible highway. Oh. <laughs> that depends which section, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so interestingly, really, really, what it comes down to is that the lighting, the electrification of the Earth, and the lighting, everything lighting up, are ruining. All the uh, uh, ruining um, astronomy for Earthlings is actually a boon to Martian mm-hmm. astronomy. Yeah, that's right. In, in this, um, in this sense, mm-hmm. uh, and the, <laughs> I can imagine a scenario where that uh, the Gauss thing could be one thing that that would certainly be perhaps even a little bit intimidating <laughs> to the Martians, but but not sure. you know it's like. Mm, Not outrageously so. Yeah, Yeah. it's like, what's going on there? That's interesting. Um, But the kerosene thing blowing up the Sahara Desert, (laughs) I could imagine that causing the the Martians are like, okay, it's time to go. Let's go get them. (laughs) Fire up the tripods. Yeah, exactly. Get rid of these earthlings before they cause trouble. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, Can we wrap up that research on the heat rays? We got to (laughs) go put it into use. and actually, it makes sense. They probably would have thought that, oh, the, the the humans have finally discovered heat rays. They just blew up the desert. Oh, yes. <laughs> and they're idiots. What other technology could they have used to make the desert blow up like that? Exactly. Clearly heat so rays. Must have been heat rays. Um, probably, they probably said, they're bipeds. Let's make a tripod object. That'll really scare the crap out of them. Um, yeah. So speaking of tripods, right? So everything gets much easier once we have radio. Ah. <sighs> Right. Yeah. Okay. So now here's another thing I've wondered about. Um, Marconi is really the first to broadcast radio of a significant power. Is that right? Yeah. Across the Atlantic. Across the Atlantic. Right. Yeah. Through the air. Um, and is that a, that's like early 1900s? Uh, yes, that's right. Again, 1890s, early 1900s. 18, yeah. Oh wow! This is all happening very fast. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, but would the Martians, um, and it, so in other words, if the Martians had the same level of radio 
technology that Marconi had done at that time, would they have been able to pick up Marconi's broadcast? I don't think. No, they. probably not. Um, and uh, we Earthlings, I should say, in the early days of radio, do exactly this experiment. So there are people who do listen to Mars for radio signals and try to send radio signals. Um, this is done very early on. So even so, even though they get a, a negative result, nobody is dissuaded, right? Because oh. they know how how primitive things are. That's interesting. So the um, very first SETI. Yeah. Uh, yeah that's right. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. And so at what uh, point would it have been more reasonable? Was it, is it television? In probably 1920s and 30s as radio transmitters um, not only get more powerful, but more widespread. Mm, mm-hmm. right? right. So once they're, once they're everywhere, that's a lot of energy getting uh, a lot of radio energy getting pushed out into the cosmos. Right. Um, and if anybody's listening, then they'll hear that. So what, and would they hear, uh, it'd be like a radio dial for the Martians that they would be able to tune in and. Yeah, sure. Like, oh, here's FDR. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they could easily have listened to FDR's fireside chats. Yeah. Wow. But just 20 minutes delayed or. Uh, depending on which side of the sun we're on, but yeah, a few minutes. Yeah. Right, right, right. Wow, that would have been interesting. But at that point, we can figure if you've got the power to receive radio, isn't it? It's trivial, I think, right, to reverse that and turn that into broadcasting it. Yeah, it's the same, right? The same piece of equipment. So right then, they would have, they, if they had wanted to, they could have sent um, the Martian FDRs, you know, KXV. Uh, yes. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah they wouldn't have fireside chats right (laughs) they probably don't have a lot of fire without much wood exactly um, be like uh, um, dust bowl side chats yeah dust devil chats sitting around the dust devils (laughs) (laughs) what else have you got for entertainment yeah yeah exactly yeah we just (laughs) that's that's another a fun scenario that that uh Mars was just like it was all like Dukes of Hazard, <laughs> sitting around in a small town. What's <laughs> uh, on tonight? Well, the Earth—they got all kinds of entertainment. <laughs> why, why can't we do that? Uh, and at that point, yeah. then um, at, at that point, the actually as soon as they start to get, oh, they see. Do you think was the uh, would they have been seeing the lights before the radio, or it's all just like right around the exact same um, time? That's a good question. Because the amount of lights we have now is nothing compared to what no, we have. So much more lighting so now than more, they yeah. had. Um, my intuition says radio, but I think we might need to sit down and do some back of the envelope calculations. Um, and and we're also assuming that the Martians have a similar technological trajectory to us right so right we we get large-scale electrical electrification after early radio but maybe they work out radio well before there's large-scale industrialization right that's totally possible right 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 right. and um so at that point those early images they had of earth the super fuzzy blob things Suddenly, they would be able to reinterpret it, perhaps, or, or get more of a uh, more detailed hypothesis about what's what are we seeing here. They would certainly have a uh, 
yes, every, everyone would then go back to the early images uh, and try to learn more about them, right. given this new information. And in fact, they could start listening to like the BBC science show, right? Yeah. And they'd be like, mm-hmm. wow, it's just, <laughs> science is easy. You just turn on the radio and they tell well, you. And that on. would be an interesting scenario, right? So they would, uh, they, they might learn about things like, oceans and badgers uh not because they saw them right but because they heard us describing them right and the queen they, they, they would just think the queen is the queen of the earth <laughs> clearly um and whatever's going on in london must be very important this right. is london the most important place in the world Bong. um that's pretty cool that's pretty cool and in fact, if they really were, it's kind of fascinating to think about if the, if the Martians were, s- for whatever reason, strictly stuck in spectator mode, mm-hmm. you know, that, who knows, maybe they could hear radio, but they just didn't yet make the connection to being able to send it or, or maybe didn't want to, you know, maybe yeah, they, they had a Stephen Hawking. not interested. Yeah. Yeah. Like they had their own Stephen Hawking who said, uh, don't, shh, just mm-hmm. be quiet because they're clearly crazy. Whatever's going on there, we don't want that. There's uh, some kind of vaudeville shtick. That's clearly <laughs> not what we want on our peaceful planet. Um, very cool. Uh, this is a fa- it's a fascinating scenario, and it's easier. Like it's it's one thing to be able to imagine being on Earth and imagine what is there life on Mars and it's all kinds of scenarios. But when you reverse it like this, I don't know, it just seems much more visceral. It's like wow, I can yeah. really because we know <laughs> we know life actually developed on Earth and you know, technology advanced. And so it's imagine it's fun to imagine just being a spectator on that. Um, another interesting thing would be a much closer thing would be living on the moon. Um, what, what did you say? Uh, Kepler said that his, yeah, Kepler's uh, sci-fi story, the, the selenites, the selenites. Right. And if you've not heard the story of how Kepler saved his mother from being called a, from being Kepler saved his mother from being condemned as a witch by proposing that, well, no, it's not that she's a witch, it's that people from the moon came and spoke to her, and everybody was like, oh, okay, let her, let her go. Um, listen, to our previous, listen to our previous episode. There's a lot going on. And that's just one tidbit of what you can find in all the shows. There's crazy stuff going on in every episode of What the If. Oh, yeah. This was a fun one. What the If the Martians could see, could, could watch the rise of humanity, what would their next steps be? Well, you can, like I said, if they've got those neutrino observatories up, they're going to realize there's problems come the Cold War. Um, Carl Sagan liked to point out that uh, by the 1980s, the strongest radio sources on Earth were not the BBC oh. or television stations, but they were our... Uh, Air defense radar systems. Oh, wow. All right. And what would that sound like? That would just be like a... Well, that would be a a sophisticated civilization, I think, would recognize them as tracking systems Mm -hmm. pretty closely. Mm -hmm. And Sagan liked to point out that maybe that's not the first thing we want an alien civilization to know about us, Mm. that we have gigantic rival air defense systems. Right. Even Howdy Doody would be better than that, right? Just barely. Just barely. (laughs) Wow, that's fascinating. I didn't know that. that uh, so what, what was he proposing that? Um, well, it was part of his general anti-nuclear 
um, political commitment. Right. Uh, he wanted to say that even he was pointing out that uh, even aliens on the other side of the galaxy could, even if they knew nothing about us, just by sensing those radar systems would know that we were a highly militarized planet on the verge of destroying ourselves. Yeah. Or them, if they were. Or them. Insecure. If they were close enough, like, say, Mars. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, Right. Right. So Sagan was saying, like, it just doesn't look good. Yeah, exactly. It's bad PR. Right. But that's when back back when Earthlings had a sense of shame. That's right. We're well past that. (laughs) We're well past that. Broadcasting all kinds of nonsense. So, um, wow. Thank you for this scintillating speculative fiction scenario. Uh, Very cool. So I would say let's be grateful that um, the Martians weren't there to be listening, maybe? Uh, I I think it's still kind of cool. Uh, Um, um, And we'll see if they listen to this podcast. Yeah, yeah. We can be, you know, we can be grateful for Percival Lowell for, uh, and then it's so funny is we we started off with this notion of has stupidity ever advanced science? Um, Now, let's not call it stupidity. It was, you know, ignorance and data gathering and hypothesizing. Uh, But Lowell's idea, Lowell put, Lowell was like one of those scientists who maybe like, Michio Kaku now or something is like totally a scientist, but willing to, you know, let his mind go and and uh, get the public entertained by, you know, taking it, expanding the imagination, making it much more vivid um, and not just saying, well, let's wait till the data comes in. We shouldn't say anything about it. Um, Was he a popular figure in in that sense? Was he like... uh, uh, yes, that's right. As much as was possible with the, the media of the day. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, because everybody wanted to talk to the guy who uh, was looking at Martians. Cool. Did he go on the radio or was radio not? That is a good question. I do not know if uh, he ever did. He should have if he didn't. Right. So we can uh, end. Certainly, certainly he was a regular presence in the newspapers. Oh, wow. Interesting. So, so we, can, we can end with an image of the Martians listening to the radio. And tuning in, and oh, the BBC. I always mention BBC because I feel like they had the strongest broadcast and signal. And, and uh, oh, per, look, the guest is Percival Lowell. Is he? Oh, he's an astronomer. He's an astronomer. Hey, we're astronomers. What's he going to say? And then he talks. He says, Oh, there are canals on Mars. And they're just like laughing. They're like, Oh my God, these people. No, tur- stop it. Turn off the tripods. We got nothing to worry about. These people, they don't know what they're talking about. They're making up stories about us. Yeah. Crazy. So, so we're good. They don't know, by the way, that we have tripods and heat rays yet until they hear the broadcast. Yeah, so nobody the tell them, please. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah, and then what probably happened was then they heard Orson Welles' broadcast of, of the War of the Worlds, and they were like, ah, oh, we got to scrap that program. They already know. We need to come up with something <laughs> else. Right. Cancel the plans. That's right. Pull the, pull the rockets off the launching pads. And they've been waiting and... Then we started sending rovers to the planet, and they were like, hmm, okay, it doesn't seem like a threat. It doesn't seem like a threat. And all of a sudden, the, on November 26th, the Insight, NASA InSight lander is going to land, and they're going to see that. And okay, this one's a little different. Oh, it doesn't have wheels. That's cool. And all of a sudden, it starts drilling into the planet. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> it's going to destroy the entire planet. And all hell breaks loose. Tune in on November 27th to see what happens after the Martians realize we came there for oil, as we do for everything. Um, Wonderful. Thank you, Matt. Always exciting. 
always exciting. Listen to the BBC. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put that there. BBC science programs are the best, and I just love them. And uh, they're a great inspiration for what, for what I do, for what we do here. Uh, if, if we could be uh, half as good as the BBC, I'd be very. That would be wonderful. Uh, Sorry, that'd be pretty awesome. I have to work on my accent though. Yours is okay because like you could be the, the American, the kooky American who we call across the pond. <laughs> All right. Uh, God bless the Queen. Uh, yes. And uh, and whoever your leader of choice is, um, who you will when the Martians land and they take me to your leader. Yeah, you got to know who you're going to take him to. You got to yeah, just put that down. Make, make a note of that. And next week, I have no idea. What strange perspective will we take on next week? What what weird goggles will we strap to our minds and our third eyes? Maybe we'll have three eyes. And if we did, or any other strange thing, I know that one thing we're going to do. We're going to do one thing for sure next week. No matter what. In fact, even if we don't come up with any idea, we are probably going to scream. What? What? The, the if, 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 if. By now, go to iTunes and leave us a review. Thank you very much. Send us some feedback. Whattheif.com. Uh, go to whattheif.com. Last minute plug for ourselves, please. Martians, we're waiting. Bye. <laughs>